So today on the Metaverse podcast, we've got founder Pinata, Carl Tuck. Welcome, Carl. Yeah, I appreciate being on. So back in the saddle, doing the podcasts, and uh, no better guest than you to kind of come on and, and tell us what's going on in the zeitgeist of the metaverse and, and web3 the team at outlier have really been tracking what you guys have been doing for some time been really impressed with the kind of traction momentum um and i think you know pinata is a great example of how we can begin to productize and make more usable better usable um web3 and in particular around nfts so we describe pinata as the home for nft media it's effectively a media management company for creators and developers. Um, and, you know, you go around the website and, and you can really see that there's a very strong sense of product, you know, even how you're kind of pricing and thinking through the different customer types. Yep. Um, so you guys raised over 25 million last year. Congratulations. Great timing. Uh, yeah. T- uh, 21 and a half million. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, some great. Uh, VC involved, you know, Pantera, Greylock, um, and uh, Vault Capital, OpenSea, Alchemy. Uh, and you've got a great traction, right? 250,000 users across yep. uh, developers, creators, including OpenSea and Autograph. Um, and uh, as I understand it, a, a really broad range of kind of use case, different types of media, yep. really kind of demonstrating I guess the scope of NFTs, uh, you know, people still have this quite narrow understanding of what an NFT is, is you know, PFP or art or, or whatever else. Um, and so really looking forward to exploring the, the kind of use cases that you're seeing that excite you um, yep. and the kind of direction of, of travel there. Um, and, you know, some really cool products and features from dedicated gateways, which allow people to kind of have more branded experiences, private IPFS nodes, kind of like almost middleware solutioning, um, and a lot of kind of no-code solutioning as well. No-code is a really big theme we're seeing coming through at the Outlier Accelerator at the moment. But before we do all of that, let's kind of get to know Kyle. Um, I believe you've already today been doing your Friday stand-up within the company telling personal stories. So yeah. um, maybe maybe give us some of the juice there. Um but maybe I, I kind of kick it off. You know, as I understand it, your your journey towards Pinata really was born out of, of hackathons, winning hackathons yep, very successfully. And I know that that continues to be a big part of your DNA. But tell us how it all started. Yeah. So um, my story, uh, specifically in crypto and blockchain, started uh, back in April of 2017. Uh, that's when I had first quit my job and, and decided that I was just going to jump into the space uh, full time. Uh, currently and uh, back then, uh, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. So uh, when I quit my job and I was looking around, there wasn't you know much of a community in Omaha doing anything with crypto. My only sources of information were you know things like Reddit and, and Twitter and uh, you know things like that. And so to problem solve uh, kind of the educational gap and, and community gap, uh, what I did is I instantly hopped on a plane and flew to New York and flew to uh, a blockchain hackathon there. And, you know, I was doing that to, number one, 
make sure that I could actually understand the technology at a, a very deep level. Uh, you know, I'm I'm still non-technical, but I I did understand that to be in this space, especially in in 2017, I needed to understand the technology uh, at a much deeper level, and and there's no way to do that better than spending time with with blockchain engineers and and learning from them. The other thing is like I needed to build out a network. Uh, you know, I I was on an island um, in Omaha, and you know I didn't go to you know, MIT or Stanford or, or any of those types of things. So these hackathons were the way that I could start building a network out in, in blockchain and crypto. Um, and so, you know, went to that first hackathon in April or May of 2017, kept doing that. This is consensus, uh, right? So this was the... Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 There was a... And so we ended up... <laughs> We called it Hyper Monopoly, and we actually built it on a Hyperledger project, which um, uh, was very random. But uh, yeah, we just kept doing that all summer. So I, I kept going to these blockchain hackathons, um, meeting people. Uh, you know, a lot of people that I, I still know very well today. Uh, it was kind of a you know it was it was actually before um, kind of the boom in in 2017 2018. Then I like I figured out, hey, uh, I'm still lonely in Omaha, and I need to solve for that. So I started the blockchain meetup group in town. Uh, actually, grew to four or five hundred people. And my co-founder Matt Ober was one of the first software engineers to um, reach out to me. And you know, we got we got drinks together, and I was like, hey, like there's this real thing happening. I've I've seen it going to these different events. And the first hackathon. Uh, that we went to together was actually ETH Waterloo in 2017. And that's where, um, that's where CryptoKitties launched. And so that's, you know, we had a front row view of, of NFTs uh, and those types of things. And, and Matt, Matt and I just spent time going to these hackathons, kind of cutting our teeth that way. We, we stood up a consulting company where we were uh, building blockchain applications as well. Um, and through all of that, uh, that experience, going to these hackathons and, and building blockchain apps, uh, is where we ran into the problem that Pinata solves, which is storing data on chain is super expensive. Um, and uh, everybody at the time to solve for that uh, was using IPFS or the interplanetary file system. So uh, we came up with the idea of let's, you know, let's just make IPFS as fast and stable as possible. We'll spin up some IPFS nodes, make it easy for developers to use. They can hit an API. Um, and launched Pinata at the ETH Berlin Hackathon uh, in 2018. So October, November of, of 2018, we launched it at, at at that hackathon. Ended up winning. Um, you know, thought thought we were going to be able to raise a bunch of money and, and take over the world. Unfortunately, uh, we could probably get into this later. That that didn't happen. Um, but all that to say, hackathons are are a huge uh, huge part of our company. Uh, you know, we started out at hackathons. Uh, today, you know, we we like to sponsor a bunch of hackathons. Uh, in this past week, we actually just had an internal hackathon uh, at Pinata, uh, with the theme being how do we build um, app NFTs? How do we how do we take apps and actually attach them to NFTs and and they're one and the same thing? So huge huge part of the Pinata story. Yeah, very cool. And obviously, um, you know, eighteen. Where you were in East Berlin as hackathon, hackathon winner. I mean, you know, eighteen was a tough year, right? Um, get, yeah. Going through into into nineteen twenty, it was definitely a winter. Totally different to now, where despite what's going on in the secondary market, there was just no venture capital money, or at least very little yeah. venture capital money being deployed. 
Um, and so, you know, to to do what you were doing throughout that period and then to come out the other side and, and close successfully um, as late as last year, you know, that requires a lot of perseverance. I want to come back to kind of hackathon as a strategy because it's interesting you said you launched at a hackathon. So like yeah. thinking of a hackathon as a place you can launch a proposition that you've been developing. Could you just talk us through... You know, so the multiple hackathons, presumably at multiple stages of development, perhaps yeah. somewhere you just had the concept and you were literally coding around the concept. And then it sounds like others where you were going with some code already and, yeah. and you were kind of developing it more. Can you just talk through, I guess, yeah, that hackathon as a development cycle and as a launch yeah. platform as well? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the early hackathons, we were just going and we were basically just showing up uh in trying to compete and then we we kind of figured out like there is there is a bit of a playbook to hackathons and and how to be successful at them um and so through all that repetition we kind of figured that out um and uh through the summer of 2018 we spent it building out um pinata uh building up the api uh, all that type of stuff. And then so when we got to ETH Berlin we were able to build a project that actually utilized pinata underneath um, and we, it was basically a simple project where uh, we were trying to facilitate um, uh, storage deals on IPFS using uh, Ethereum smart contracts um, was our, our winning hackathon idea. But it was, it was really cool to be able to obviously use our own product that we had built out um, uh, for the hackathon. The other thing that um, I, I, I haven't I don't think I've told before, but. Uh, our brand was actually developed because of these hackathons as well. Um, when I was sitting at these hackathons, all I kept thinking about is how how can we make a brand that goes viral at a hackathon? Uh, and so, you know, the the little character of the pinata uh, was like the perfect sticker. Uh, once we landed on pinata as a name, and then then the sticker, um, we were like, you know, this is this is going to be extremely popular and. Uh, and it has been uh, even moving to today. So we we really kind of ideate and come up with our best ideas at hackathons, and that's where we execute. Um, and even one of our uh, our most recent features um, and products called Submarine.me, we actually built at ETH Denver. Um, so we actually take the time and and go to these hackathons and and use them to develop products um, and to iterate. And it's been extremely successful for us. Yeah, I mean, it's a great feedback loop, right? And I think it's really smart. I've not really, I mean, I'm sure it happens regularly, but I'm not, I'm not aware of it being necessarily a kind of deliberate strategy. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's really cool. And the idea that you're effectively taking pre-developed middleware of your own, but then hacking an application that demonstrates its, um, its potential is really smart. And I love the idea of thinking, the, the, the kind of the boundary of a brand maybe starting with what would make a great hackathon sticker and, and kind of work out from there. Yes. Yeah. Super smart. Yeah. And it was like, uh, I could feel going to these hackathons, you know, even in 2017, it was, it was very obvious in 2018 that um, this space was going to be important. And what I really enjoyed about it is like, it definitely felt, felt like a counterculture movement. Um, and I wanted to tap into that niche counterculture-ness, if you will, uh, of the space. And, and I knew that if we could like 
get something that popped in this little bubble of of excitement that whenever it did go mainstream uh to the to the broader public um you know we would be uh basically associated with with that counterculture and in that niche and um yeah it's worked worked out great so then if we kind of go from let's say the last hackathon well it sounds like you're continuously doing hackathons but like the the last one that i referenced what what happened between there and and closing this round? You know what what yeah did, did was that additive at that event? Was that a, a trigger point which catalyzed being able to to close money or you know what happened in between? Yeah, so uh, when we won ETH Berlin um, again, it was late 2018. Um, the market was down quite a bit, uh, and there weren't a bunch of new people coming into the space. We had that issue. Uh, it was a little bit of a winter. Um, but the other issue we had is we didn't have a real use case for off-chain data yet. Um, so the majority of the use cases were like ERC-20 tokens. Uh, and we knew, obviously, from having a front-row view at um, at ETH Waterloo and CryptoKitties that NFTs were the perfect use case for off-chain data. Uh, it's just, you know, nobody was building NFTs. There was like four people that were, were doing anything. I mean, that um, was not obvious to most investors. And it, yeah. it was, it was actually a kind of almost a subculture of the, uh, the Ethereum community, right? Um, yep. and very different and distinct from the whole DeFi thing that was happening in, in, in you know, the summer. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, I remember I've, you know, gone back and, and looked at pitch decks and we weren't even talking about NFTs until. Um, you know, basically 2020, um, because it just wasn't a big enough uh, market and there wasn't enough activity going on. So uh, what we did in the interim, uh, you know, from 2018 all the way until 2020 is we just, I sat in this office and I called every blockchain project I could. Uh, You know, I was going through uh, GitHub and Twitter and just trying to find new projects and, and seeing why they would use Pinata, why they would use IPFS or, or why not. Uh, and then we kept going to these hackathons and we kind of just built a brand for ourselves with blockchain engineers the whole time. Uh, and, you know, people, you know, respected kind of how we were approaching the space. And then the other thing that we did that was so successful is we wrote blogs the whole time. Um, and we had a, we had a very deliberate internal rule where, we called it the five to one shill ratio, where we had to write five educational blogs um, teaching people how to build blockchain applications of some sort um, before we could just shill pinata where we would do one blog that we were just like, hey, check out this product or feature or whatever. Um, and so we were able to just teach a bunch of developers how to uh, how to build in the space. You know, there was a bunch of Web2 people coming into Web3 and whatnot, uh, and a lot of them learned from from our blogs. And, uh, you know, one of them, we were talking about NFTs in 2020 and people started, um, you know, obviously the trend lines start going up on NFTs in 2020 and they were using our blogs to do it, integrated our APIs into their NFT projects or marketplaces. And we kind of just were able to track along um, with the NFT space as it exploded. Uh, And then, you know, we still didn't have a business model. We didn't know how to, we didn't know how to make money or, or do any of that kind of stuff. And we kind of figured it out in in 2021, um, and then we're able to have quite a bit of success in 2021 and in 2022. Even though the market, at least for, from an NFT perspective, is uh, down quite significantly, we've we've still been able to grow month over month and have kind of 
found our way. But I always like to say, uh, you know, Matt and I felt we were, uh, you know, or I guess we knew we were right. But when you're right and you're early, it's the same as being wrong. We were just resilient enough, essentially, just Matt and I all the way until 2020 um, to uh, just survive and, and keep at it and, and keep um, keep building uh, until the market kind of found us. Yeah, I mean, look, it's the hardest thing in the world when a founder or fact two co-founders know they're right um, and that they're early and they, they know that they've just got to survive, right? And yeah. uh, so, you know, well done for being that that convicted. And, and then, of course, it blew up, right? You know, NFTs. Yep. I mean, I think, I mean, I get the years confused now, like we're 2022 20, or just like 20. 2020, can't remember. Um, and, you know, I think everybody around then kind of knew, okay, it was going to pop, but I don't think anybody knew it was going to... Why? Well, I, did you? I, I certainly was... I remember so, interviewing the OpenSea guys and they were just like, what the fuck's going... Whilst it's happening, they're like, we, what the fuck's going on? You know, yeah. we don't have the developers. We're not ready for this demand. And, and it was a pleasant surprise, right? But everyone's scrambling to kind of like make hay. Yeah. So my, my big aha moment was I was just walking around. So this was right when COVID hit, uh, like April or May of 2020. Um, I was walking around crypto voxels, uh, which is, you know, one of the metaverses. And, um, I was just kind of like blown away about what the artists in that community was doing. Um, it was just incredible how you could walk from parcel to parcel. They would be completely different. Um, you know, decorated different, different art. Some would have music and video, some would just be images, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's kind of when I felt that there was just something coming, but I, I obviously couldn't uh, see what, what happened in, you know, late 2020. And then obviously 2021, it, it just absolutely exploded. But um, yeah, that those early days in crypto boxes was kind of where I I got quite a bit of conviction around NFTs. Uh, you know, I I wrote my first blog on NFTs in 2017, so I'd been thinking about them for a long time. But again, I I hadn't seen the use case where people were actually excited about it, and and crypto boxes was that was that moment for me where I got really excited. So we kind of like fast forward now, and you know we've gone through that cycle, the the NFT art cycle. I mean, yep. PFP cycle, of course, PFP, PFP is still going, but like it's kind of evolving a little bit. But now I think there's just a huge amount of interest across everything from music, media, entertainment, like loyalty, couponing, um, you know, even down to like some very dry use cases that, that perhaps aren't as sexy as all of that. Um, you know, if anybody knows the kind of breadth of demand that's coming online, you know, the enterprise partners that are playing. And I guess that then requirement for like the, the life cycle of an NFT, um, you know, how, how does it function in the context of CRM? How can it function across, across an organization, uh, yeah. like within an organization where people may come and go uh, or, you know, across multiple organizations that are separate entities. Can you just talk us through, the kind of demand that you're seeing for your products and, and, you know, representative of the market um, and, and some of the kind of big opportunity areas you, you think you're going to experience growth in. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the unique 
perspectives that we've had this whole time is we've never minted. Um, and so uh, because we've never taken a position on kind of, uh, you know, the smart contract designs uh, and the NFTs themselves, uh, we've believe we've seen the broadest kind of implementations of NFTs. And even going back to 2018, because at our core, we're an IPFS pinning service and people just upload content to us and then serve it uh, actually even outside of the NFT space. Uh, what we saw is people were uploading full applications to us uh, and serving apps uh, through us. And, and what we knew is that if you could upload it to us, you could attach it to an NFT and it could be an NFT. And so we always knew even back in 2018 that these things could be full applications. And what we're seeing now is obviously, you know, the hype was around uh, simple images and, and PFP projects, and it's kind of migrated to there's video and, and music happening. But we believe the future of, of NFTs are going to be full-blown applications. Uh, and right now we just call them app NFTs because we don't know what else, else to call them. But what we're seeing is people are uploading, you know, instead of uploading their app to the app store or something like that, they're they're uploading it to us, attaching it to an NFT, and then, um, you know, they're trading them uh, on OpenSea or, or whatever marketplace that they're using. Um, and that's where we start getting really excited. So internally last week, I had mentioned we'd done a hackathon and the theme of it was app NFTs. Uh, and we internally had our, our BD team uh, built a, a CRM system. Uh, CRM app that's attached to an NFT. We had uh, my team ended up building. Um, so basically, we used ultrasonic sound um, to identify songs uh, at concerts, and then that would unlock exclusive content uh, related to listening to that song. So you could prove that you were like at the live concert and hopefully unlock music at a later date, um, and a whole bunch of other use cases that we've seen, but. What we think is really interesting or a framework that we built out uh, was this idea of consumables versus assets. So through the hype cycle uh, of NFTs uh, to try to stay grounded, we were always approaching stuff is, is this going to be an asset? Uh, is it going to maintain value or is it going to be consumable, which ultimately means it goes to zero? And the, the way I always kind of frame this is around a coffee shop, which is... Um, you know, an NFT can both represent the LLC of the coffee shop. It could represent the lease of the building that you're sitting in. It could represent the, the building itself. Uh, but it could also represent uh, the cup of coffee. Um, and so when you put it on kind of that, that paradigm, uh, what you realize is like you can still own uh, a cup of coffee. But when you drink that cup of coffee, you know, it's going to go from $5 down to $0. Um, and you know, that's okay. It still has utility. Um, it's yeah. still a, a it's just you know, it's redemption. Yeah. Um, and so by doing that, we've, we've always looked at it um, from that perspective. And when we're looking at NFTs, we're like, how do we, um, you know, how do we turn NFTs into businesses? Uh, like real, the NFT itself is a business. And if you think about attaching a full application to it, uh, you can then start seeing, you know, revenue streams that are coming in by allowing people to get access to the app. Uh, and things like that. And so that's that's where we think the future of, of NFTs is going to go. Um, and it's going to get significantly, you know, more complicated. And, uh, you know, we're going to see some some really cool things. Um, and it's it's going to go much beyond what what people think of uh, NFTs today, which is, you know, art or PFPs. I mean, I love the idea of NFTs as apps. 
definitely need to think naps. I don't know. We need to need to call that something, right? I can yeah. see you, you got a marketing background like me, so I, you, you just have this impulse to try to come up with stupid names, things. Yeah, we've we've been trying a lot. Uh, naps was one uh, that definitely popped up, um, but yeah, we we don't know what to call them yet. But yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, if you figure it out, l- l- let me know. Um, <laughs> I'll repeat it. We'll try and you know turn it into a thing, um, but. NFTs as apps is it's a big concept, and um, we've got a portfolio company called Moda Down. Uh, they're kind of creating various um, forms of tooling for the music industry, and of course, an element of that is is NFTs. And they've got a brilliant uh, CTO over there, a guy called Sam, uh, and he's looking at. Um, NFTs as websites in a way, indexable search engine indexable websites with metadata in them to yep. kind of you know search and discover them. And I guess that kind of feeds into this NFTs as apps, NFTs as as a website. But then of course you've also got like nested NFTs. I, I guess to go back to your coffee shop analogy, in a sense, as a bundle of NFTs, you're into just interacting with the organization or the economy right. in a through indiv- individuated nfts but there's this bu- bundling and nesting how 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 do you how does that all come together i mean i, I know this isn't solved but yeah so um the way i kind of think about this is let's say the business is an nft uh so the application is a business and the business is an app and that's an nft uh that is owned by somebody whether it's a dao or you know somebody owns that nft um but they're the only one that actually gets to like purchase or maintain control of it. Then what you have to do after that is um, generate permissioning essentially to that app, right? And ultimately permissioning equals revenue of some sort. Um, And so what you do is you start minting um, permissioning NFTs. And so these permissioning NFTs give you access to the content or not. Uh, This is obviously very familiar if you're familiar with token gating and, and that concept. But it's taking a one main NFT, and then uh, from that main NFT, you're creating these permissioning token gating NFTs. This can happen, you know, on a layer one, or it can happen on a layer two. It, you know, it doesn't really matter internally. Uh, we've talked. I've I've called it the double decker NFT, where you're um, optimizing the permissioning uh, on a on a cheaper chain or a, a less expensive chain, so that it's not as expensive. Um, and then you can see the revenue, right? Like that's the beautiful thing about, uh, this situation is you'd be able to see the revenue that is pouring into that NFT as a business. Um, and then all the things that you're seeing in the NFT space around, um, you know, DeFi protocols and lending and and those types of things start to make a lot more sense when, um, when these NFTs actually are businesses of, of whatever sort. And so that's where we get, we get super excited. Yeah, I mean, it raises lots of questions, like, because um, effectively that then creates a form of radical, I mean, using a current paradigm, radical transparency, right? Everybody can see the cash flows of your business because it's all on chain, yep. in fact, um, yep. which opens you up potentially to, you know, people just replicating or, or, or whatever else. Um So, I mean, do you, do you see a world of radical transparency or do you think that, there's going to have to be elements for existing businesses to enter this space 
there's going to have to be more privacy oriented forms of NFTs. Yeah, there's there's definitely going to have to be more uh, privacy, and um, so just you know the idea of having NFTs that serve private content is like the first step, and and that's what we do with our submarine feature is we serve private content from from private IPFS nodes based on whether or not you own the NFT uh, through these token gating mechanisms. So that's the first step. Then the question is, yeah, you know, do people want uh, you know, their cash flows and their revenue to be public. And I think, um, I think that'll be answered based on, you know, is the market just that much more efficient on chain when you're buying and selling these NFTs that it's worth it. Uh, and ultimately that's, if it's worth it, people are, uh, are going to deal uh, or enjoy that transparency. And if, if it's not, you know, they'll, they'll try to go a different way and, and introduce privacy. Um, but as long as you can, um, you know, run a successful business and, and feel okay with it. Um, I think it, it can definitely happen. I mean, you're, you're taking me down a bit of a rabbit hole, um, <laughs> uh, which is, which is great. That's exactly why we, why we do these things. I'm going to ask one more question. I'm, that's it. And I'm going to have to go away and think about this. Um, yeah. so final question. If we, if we move to a world of NFTs as apps, where do we how do we experience them is it going to be native apps on mobile is it going to be browser based is there going to be you know is it going to be yeah. something around metamask creating new extensions like how, how do you see that that, that experience what does it mean yeah. for the way we yeah, absolutely. The web? yeah i mean so like the way i think about this is uh if you start thinking of you know, marketplaces like OpenSea as app stores instead of um, instead of NFT marketplaces, uh, it kind of helps change the paradigm, right? So in that situation, OpenSea's take rate is two and a half percent instead of thirty percent. So you already have a massive advantage there. Um, and then it's about yeah, what, how are you going to experience it? And I think because NFTs can represent mobile or browser or you know uh, any kind of application. It's going to be all of the above, essentially, and it's just going to be uh, figuring out what format works best for for your application, and you know, obviously, who you're trying to target as a business, and so on and so forth. Um, and then it's just about okay, uh, are you accessing that uh, through through your wallet, or are you accessing that on the marketplace, or you know, how are you how are you trying to access that? And uh, we don't have clear insights into you know what that's going to look like yet, but we do think we do think that these things can go anywhere and, and be everywhere. Uh, and the, the one thing we think about a lot is essentially going back to just links, you know, people share links in discord or share links on Slack or wherever they're sharing them. And if that link is associated with an NFT, you know, you can share these things anywhere, anywhere. Um, and they become much more, uh, they have a lot more distribution behind them. Um, and it gets, it gets pretty exciting when you, when you start going down that, uh, train of thought. Well, Kyle, you have reawakened my love of podcasting. A great, great uh, first guest to have back. Now, now we're kind of back in the rhythm of doing these things. And to the listeners out there who have maybe been a bit frustrated we've not done these um, more recently, we will be doing them uh, weekly again. So, um, Kyle, 
big thanks for coming on the show. Um, I, I am going to have to go away and meditate on this one. It's it's buzzed my brain a bit. It's um, there's lots to think about. There are lots of implications. I think it's great framing. Congratulations on uh, surviving. You know the last cycle being really set up for success in this one. Um, persevering. Uh, great great story. And thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.